You're listening to the GP Supervision Australia podcast, working through the facts about workforce planning and prioritisation. Presented by Matt Jones, Dr Catherine Lees and Shane Boyer. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which this recording was produced and pay our respects to their elders past, present, future and their families. Welcome everybody. We really appreciate the time that you've given for us to share information together. And My name's Matt Jones. I'm the CEO of Murray Primary Health Network. We're the lead agency of the Victorian Consortia of the AGPTWPP, the Workforce Prioritisation Program lead. Also accompanying us is Shane Boyer from Murray PHN. Shane, I'll get you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Shane Boyer, I am the manager of workplace strategy at the moment with PHN and worked in this area for probably about 25 years now. Thank you, Shane. And Kath Lees. Kath, I'll get you to introduce yourself too, please. Thanks, Matt. Hello, everyone. So, Catherine Lees, I'm the Victorian lead for the WPP PHN Consortia, and I'm also the Director of Integrated Projects and Partnerships at Murray PHN. So it's lovely to be with you. Thanks, Kath. Let me firstly frame the conversation in that, as we'd indicated, we're going to be talking about the Workforce Prioritisation Program as it's part of the AGPT program. As will be apparent, this is a national program and Murray PHM will be giving an overview of the role of the WPP organisation. It will have a particular focus given our experience and role in servicing and providing that support to the Victorian catchment jurisdiction. So there will be some commonalities, but it will also be important to reinforce that each of the jurisdictions have a respective workforce planning and prioritisation organisation. We'll be going through a little bit more of that so that there'll be contact details and more information, but we're really pleased to be sharing information about the intention of the WPP program and the approach that will be taken by WPPOs. So as many people will know, the Australian General Practice Training Program includes a component called the Workforce Planning and Prioritisation Project. This project is intending to provide independent, evidence-based and robust advice to the Department of Aged Care and to the GP colleges, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine in their role to inform the AGPT training placement priorities. The prospect and the avenue of being able to provide that independent and evidence-based information to inform and support the important responsibilities of the college's and also to provide information to the department is a key element and a feature that really depends upon the collaboration and partnership between each of those parts. So in that light, whilst there's synergy and coordination between each of those entities, we all have respective roles and responsibilities. The Commonwealth Department of Health and Ageing with their policy and funding responsibilities ultimately responsible for the AGPT program and its structure and architecture and resourcing. We have the responsibilities and role that both ACRAM and RACGB provide in regard to the training responsibilities for registrars. Obviously, a a change in the program of registrar training, transferring from the previous RTO system and a responsibilities that the WPPOs are supporting the colleges in providing 
And that then speaks to the workforce planning and prioritisation organisations. This specific component of the AGPT program that the Commonwealth is funding, that the colleges are delivering, with the support of the WPPOs in being able to identify training need and training capacity and providing that in a robust and independent way in collaboration and support so that there's more information, more capacity to have an understanding of the local context in order to support the training and distribution of registrars within each of those jurisdictions. In the context that we're responsible for, Murray PHN, we're part of a consortia of the PHNs that are providing the WPP role in capturing that information, assessing and rating the information via two reports that are provided biannually to the department and to the colleges around the training needs and training capacity to support the training delivery and also distribution of registrars across our respective jurisdictions. It's important distinction, an important element to this is that there is a jurisdiction by jurisdiction approach. So there's eight WPPOs and in some instances they're being delivered by a single entity. In some instances, they're part of a consortia approach. In Victoria, the PHNs came together and were successful in being awarded the WPPO role. That's also the circumstance in New South Wales and ACT and in Queensland and in WA. In Northern Territory, it's the Northern Territory PHN with their dual workforce and PHN responsibilities. And in Tasmania, it's the Rural Workforce Agency with those responsibilities in Tasmania. And in South Australia, it's the continuation of the existing regional training organisation in consortia with a range of other organisations. So those configurations and arrangements recognise diversity across each of the jurisdiction areas, but each of the jurisdictions we're working closely together to enable the refinement and improvement of the reporting processes and strengthening of the uh, capacity to provide the WPP program through collaboration and through sharing information to strengthen the provision of those reports for the colleges and the Department of Health and Ageing. I think at this juncture, I hand over to Kath. Thank you, Kath. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So now what I'd like to do is talk to you all a little bit about what is actually happening in Victoria, the WTF or what are the facts around WPP and what are we actually doing just to help dispel some myths. So the Victorian approach as across the country involves a workforce needs assessment and a training capacity assessment. So we're using data that's obtained from the Commonwealth's data source, Heads Up, which is where we're accessing data to look at the workforce and community needs at a GP catchment level across Victoria. So there in Victoria, we've got 153 GP catchments, and these are non-overlapping geographical areas that depict a boundary to show where patients will generally travel to access most of their GP services. So it's really important to understand that this analysis is being done at the GP catchment level and not within a GP practice itself. So in the first instance, we're trying to identify what is the community need 
for GP workforce. And we're doing this looking at demographic data, the ageing populations, we're looking at virality, we're looking at CFA indexes, and a number of fairly common population and demographic data to understand our demand for services. On the other hand, we're also looking at supply data. So it's really important to be able to get a really good analysis of the gap between demand and supply in a GP catchment. So to look at supply indicators, we're also looking at the number of GPs in a catchment, the FTE of them, the number of services that are being provided to patients. And again, all of this quantitative data is being provided through the Commonwealth's Heads Up data source, and most of it's being based on Medicare data that the Commonwealth has. So at the end of the workforce needs assessment, we're able to have a look at our 153 GP catchments and rank them or be able to compare them in terms of those catchments that have a higher workforce need, those that have a moderate workforce need and those that have a lower workforce need, purely based on the data, looking at demand and supply. So that's half of the story. The other half of the story then is looking at training capacity because we can't just put GP trainees anywhere. We need to make sure that we've got quality training being provided to them. So looking at GP catchments and training capacity is a key element. So how do we work out what training capacity looks like and how do we measure it? It's really important that we state that there isn't a one way that we do this. And this is something that we're developing and working on consistently. So we're really happy to hear feedback if we're missing things. And this is a big part of why we need to engage with supervisors, with GPs, with practice managers, with registrars to make sure that we're telling your story appropriately. So when we look at training capacity, what we've heard from you and from your colleagues and other stakeholders, the important things that we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about supervision capacity. We need to be thinking about practice characteristics. We need to be understanding the quality of training that's being provided. And we can't leave out the crucial elements of lifestyle factors that help decide if GP registrars want to work in one area over another. So we don't have all of this information available to us yet. Some of this is available through quantitative data that we can get from the Commonwealth. Some of this data is available to us as a PHN and through our close relationships working with practices. Some of it we don't have at all. So we need to engage with key stakeholders within our local communities so that we can understand and find out what it is that makes great training capacity and what are the gaps and what are the challenges and what are the solutions that we need to be focusing on. I'm just putting this out there. I'm just seeing a glaring omission under training quality and that is the experience of supervisors and training practices that are currently in place who may well not be in areas of need going forward. Is this being taken into consideration? Is it, are those two reports mutually exclusive 
to the point where that won't be factored in workforce and capacity? No, no, they're definitely not mutually exclusive. We will be combining workforce need and training capacity to give us one overall priority level, which will help us determine, in fact, there will be five priority levels that we come out with, which I can talk a little bit more about. There'll be five priority levels that we're able to allocate our catchments to, and each of those priority levels comes with a recommendation that we put forward to the colleges on what needs to be done in this area. For example, priority one catchments have a high workforce need and an identified high training capacity. So they're ready to go now. These are catchments that are ready to be able to support quality AGPT trainees at the moment. And we work through a scale that also goes down to areas that have got a high need and low capacity. So these are priority areas that we need to act on to increase training capacity. And that could be any number of things that we identify through this report. They might need remote supervision models. They might need more supervisors. We might need to accredit practices. So, you know, there'll be tailor-made local solutions within each GP catchment. The RG and the hospital options, all of these things I'm guessing you'll have to throw in there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's really important that as part of this, we really understand the role of the supervisor, the training quality, the, the satisfaction of our supervisors, their intent to supervise in the future. All of these factors come into play when we're talking about training capacity because part of this report is presenting, yes, what's happening today, but what needs to happen into the future. We're really looking at future planning here so that we can understand our catchments and what's happening in capacity. So the other elements to the report, which I have briefly touched on, but in this version of our Victorian report, we're also piloting, looking at training pathways, because one of the outcomes that we want to achieve for GP trainees as part of the WPP is being able to provide a training environment where registrars can train or complete their whole pathway in one particular region to help prevent them having to move around all the time, unless, of course, that's what they'd like to do. But for those that do want to settle in areas, understanding training pathways and gaps in training pathways will be really helpful and a really useful tool for the colleges to be able to plan those and support registrars as they move through their training. The next part is looking at the outcomes, which I've talked about already, so I won't necessarily go over those, but the outcome of the report is a workforce needs ranking and a training capacity ranking for each GP catchment, and that translates into one of five priority levels, one, two, three, four, five, that looks at current actions and recommendations that we will provide to the colleges and future recommendations so that we can really understand what do we need to do to build capacity in areas that don't have them at the moment. And this is where it becomes critically important that we engage with people on the ground, at the cold face, working in GP practices. We need to talk to registrars. We need to talk to supervisors. 
We need to talk to practice managers and other key stakeholders in this area to identify solutions. What are the barriers? And if we can capture these in our reports, we can provide them back to the Commonwealth and work with the colleges to find solutions. So on that note, I'm going to hand over now to Shane, who's going to talk to you about our stakeholder engagement and what we're doing in that space. Over to you. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Kath, and thank you, Carla, for organising this. This is a great opportunity. And Kath's talked about a number of different ways that we're looking at capturing information. So data is a really important thing. There's no doubt about that. But data is an instant. So some of that data may or may not be absolutely accurate all of the time. So engagement with all of the stakeholders is a really important part of validating this. And, and that's what I'll talk about a little bit today. So we really want to engage to collect the information from a variety of stakeholders. And you know the most important information that we will get will both validate that, but also identify a number of different areas that will impact on training capacity in particular. So we really need to, and we have, engage with current, past and future AGPT registrars, not just the current registrars. We really need to engage with those who are coming through the system as well because things change quite quickly. So we're engaging with those people. Supervisors. We need to talk about supervisors and talk to supervisors about what impacts both their appetite are supposed to be supervisors. And practice managers as well. We know that practice managers run the practices and do a fantastic job. They're often the first point of call, particularly from a training perspective. So it's really important to engage with those practice managers who can provide us with that information. So we're doing that. You know, all of the states will possibly do this differently. But in Victoria, we're engaging through GPRA, GPSA and AAPM. So we're going through the peak bodies. Now, the reason we're doing that is that we understand that general practice is really busy at the moment you're all really under the pump. So therefore, we're trying to find ways that we can engage in a meaningful manner, but not taking up lots of your time. So we're avoiding that direct contact with practices. But in saying that, we are engaging directly with some practices through our PHN network. So often different PHNs have staff who are directly working with general practices. So we're utilising them. But they also have committees, etc. So that's where we're going through rather than door knocking, I suppose, for general practice. The things that we want from general practices, supervisors, practice managers, we really want to find out the perspectives. So from a supervisor's perspective, what are the things that matter to you and how we can use that information within our reports? We want to know about your experiences. Really important to find out the experiences you're having currently in regard to supervising and training your trainees. And what's really important as well is getting some suggestions from you as to how to solve or look at these problems. We don't know everything. We're asking for that information so we can help provide that forward to the Commonwealth. And you're the people on the ground who are experiencing this all the time. So we need to get those information and suggestions for you. We're relating it to training capacity. We're looking at supervision difficulties and then those opportunities to solve those. So we're looking at all of the aspects not just one particular area. So realistically, you know your industry. We need to engage with you to get that information from you so we can have a, a really holistic view of this. It's important to ensure that we gather the information from the supervisor to identify the gaps. So what are those gaps that have an effect on supervision capacity? What are some of the things that are missing that you can identify for us? 
and solutions, the best possible way to improve the quality of training. We're certainly not saying, and I don't think anyone's saying that training has been at a poor quality. We're just saying, how can we continuously improve that? And we need to hear from you guys to actually get that information. So what do we want to know? We want to know what you think works well, and we want to know what you think doesn't work well. And that's really important to find out both of those things. And then we want to know what issues you think we can fix and how we can possibly fix those. So the data doesn't tell the full story, and that's why this engagement is really so important. It's important for us to understand what are the factors that impact the services. What are the things that will impact you continuing to be a supervisor? What are the things that will impact you stopping from being a supervisor? And what are the things that will impact those younger supervisors or younger trainees coming through that might want to be supervisors in the long term. And I think that's a really important aspect of this. How do we look at that succession planning and what are the things that impact on that? Quality is important. And again, that's why we need to understand what is quality supervision from the supervisors, from the trainees, and then work towards identifying that. So local knowledge is also important. I think Kath mentioned this before. Yes, we are looking at a whole of a state approach, and this particular project is a national approach. But we need that local knowledge in those catchment areas so we can identify solutions or possible solutions in those catchment areas. We understand that every regional catchment is quite different and the issues, the barriers and the solutions will be quite different for each one of those catchment areas. And it's important to identify those. If we don't hear the local issues, then we can't identify them. If we can't identify them, we can't look at solutions. And we've already started that process with the registrars. So finally, I think we're all looking at exactly the same goal. I think we all want quality practices. We want quality training. We want quality supervision. I think we can agree on that one thing that all of us want that. This is an opportunity for this organisation and the other organisations across the country in this program to engage with supervisors trainees, practice managers, to seek that information out, put that together, and then try and work out how we can find some recommendations and solutions to make this space better for everybody. Thank you, Matt. I think it's over to you. I'm going to butt in first, Matt. Yes. So Naroshi's asked the question, what outcomes would the WPPOs, and it will possibly vary across the country, but what would you use to measure quality when we're talking about quality training, quality supervision? Is there a metric you're using or is that something that you're asking this stakeholder pool to actually answer for you? Kathy, feel happy for me to answer that. I think you're exactly right, Carla. I don't think there's an absolute measure of quality. There's not. So it's about talking to registrars and it's about talking to supervisors to try and identify what quality supervision is. You know, you hear a lot of different things and different trainees in particular have different ideas of what they think is quality so it's pulling all of that together and trying to come up with an answer to what we can measure that against but I think there's a whole number of different factors that influence particularly registrars in saying what they think is high quality or meaning where they would choose to go so often that's about if they're looking at certain factors that influencing them on what they're where they're picking to actually go to do their training that clearly has an impact or has a quality mechanism around where they choose to go so if we can understand that and supervisors and practices can understand that, then what can happen is at least you can look at how you can look at solving some of those problems or at least understand what they're making decisions based on. I just want to clarify, I mean, I know the answer to this, but a lot of the language is very much about regional in a way that makes, I'd say, a lot of people in the urban sector disengage 
from the WPP discussions because they think it's all about just rural and regional. It is nationwide. It is looking at both urban and rural, correct? Yes. Are different measurements being used for what you're doing in this space? Are you looking at, I mean, is this the reason for the regional focus that you're actually looking at the needs and the quality in the context of those catchments? Look, it is a national approach. We are applying the same methodology to looking at both rural, regional and metropolitan GP catchments across Victoria. But what we know and what we're hearing and what we're finding is that the situations that we're dealing with are very different depending on what GP catchments we're working with. We know from our conversations just yesterday with our colleagues in a metropolitan PHN that they're experiencing enormous growth in populations in some of the outer corridors around Melbourne and around our capital. So that's having a big impact on the numbers of GPs that we have available in those areas. So it's a real supply and demand issue. So being able to forecast those sorts of population growth is going to be really helpful when we're looking at the future placement of AGPT registrars. Whereas in perhaps some of our rural communities, we're finding we've got supervision difficulties trying to provide supervisors in some of these GP catchments where we have practices that perhaps are keen to have GP trainees, but they might be solo practices. So it presents a different and unique challenge in those catchments. So it's the same approach, but very different solutions and very different issues that we need to capture through our engagement with our local stakeholders. And I would just say the concept of regional is a pretty catch-all and elastic terminology when it's really describing collections of GP catchments where you've got a geographical and a population context. So it applies to metropolitan suburbs, it applies to peri-urban and regional, rural and remote. But I can understand the confusion, but the reality is this is a program that covers the whole of Australia, all parts and all contexts of Australia, focusing on collections of GP catchments within a jurisdictional context, but it does get broken down into collections of those GP catchments. It's just worth flagging in, in the market at the moment where that's the catch phrase. A lot of it is around the regions, and so it's hard to, to distinguish sometimes. And just flipping your scenario there, Kath, before we move on, you've got the description of the solo training practice that's very keen to deliver training. What about where there's huge capacity to train but a low workforce need? How do we preserve that? Is that something that's being factored in at the moment, that we've got those really engaged supervisors? Obviously, there are members who are very concerned that they won't have training going into the future. And this is, they've set themselves up for it. They've gone to great expense and put a lot of investment of time and energy into it. Yeah. So we do include those in our recommendations and our priority levels. We do address areas that, or we are ranking, if you like, catchment areas that have a lower workforce need and a higher training capacity so that we're flagging those with the colleges so that they're aware of those. And so we will look forward to working with the colleges to see how they are able to work with where the registrars want to train as well in those areas. Sure. I just wanted to add to that, that one of the reasons we've got those different indicators that we're looking at around quality, I think is also very important. Yes, there's a need to put 
uh, registrars into certain places where there are uh, workforce needs. But there's also really important to have a look at the quality of training to make sure we don't lose that quality of training moving forward. And I think that's why we're trying to capture that as well. And Carla, in response to your question, I think it speaks to then the intention of having and what may have been quite a contentious decision, but ultimately to have the independence and evidence-based information provided a report to the colleges around the training capacity and the workforce need so that then there's more visibility, more informed information to assist then decisions associated with distribution, training and support. So I think it speaks to the important role that the WPPOs have in generating those ratings so that it can then be used for informed decision making with transparency and visibility too. Thank you and I'm sorry for interrupting. I wanted to just pick up on Shane's contribution in around the approach that we're taking. Please regard that there's some commonality across all of the WPPOs in jurisdictions but there's also a specific dimension around how Murray PHN and the PHN consortia is approaching the role and service in the Victorian context and I certainly don't want for us to be seen or be regarding that we're speaking for all jurisdictions in all contexts. So that ensures that there's a context that will be relevant to your particular location, the WPPO leads and contacts. I'm sure they would appreciate the types of questions that you're posing to us and we're using this to answer directly, but also provides an opportunity for you to get some local context and understanding of the way in which the WPPO is undertaking the WPP work in their respective jurisdictions. Well, Belinda has asked, practice diversity rules impacts on GP retention, how we address this to create stability for GP families. That information is already coming to us. So we're collecting that information and we'll forward that on, obviously. So we've already heard that from the GP RA consultation we had. So again, it's just backing up some of that information we're already receiving. Yeah, the practice diversity is really about driving breadth of experience for registrars. But yeah, it's hard for families. And uh, we know that people can complete all their training in one practice and get full experience in some cases. So certainly the advice we're giving through these reports will help to identify opportunities where we can advise the Commonwealth and the colleges where people could train based within one region and at times, you know, within a smaller place, if that's the necessary thing to attract workforce, to attract registrars, but also to address, yeah, the quality of their training experience. So this advice will be able to kind of work with some of the policy leaders we've got now as an input, an evidence-based input to how we can ensure people are getting the right experience for themselves and their families while they're training and they're addressing the, the curriculum requirements. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Belinda, of course, is a part of the Murray PHN team, the WPPO. Thanks, Carla. I, just following on, so Belinda's actual question back to the group is that we are also really interested to hear from GPSA members to hear what you think makes quality supervision and what are the things in your context that makes a quality training experience. So we look forward to having feedback from you on that so that we can help build that into our training capacity report as we move forward. So the next question was from Naroshi. What sort of timeframes would this report be ready for utilisation? Fabulous question. 
So this particular report is due to the Commonwealth on the 1st of October, and then we will be providing reports twice a year. There'll be one in July and then another one again in October next year. So these timeframes have been informed by both colleges and through their discussions with the Commonwealth, they've decided on the timeframes that it would be most relevant for them to receive the information from WPPOs. So we'll be working to provide those thorough reports each year so that they arrive in time for the colleges to use in their planning and their decision-making times. So thanks for that question. Is it expected then that the colleges will be changing their placement policies to suit how this plays out? Is that an expectation? Is that something that's being factored in for 2024 and beyond? Know that the colleges will be using the information that's provided in our reports to make their decisions in their planning process for AGPT trainee placement within our region. So whether they're changing their timeframes or not, I don't know. We haven't heard that. But as we provide our reports at these times of the year, they'll be using them for their next rounds. Obviously, you have the question capability ongoing. This is just opening you up with the opportunity to as to who you're going to be talking to in the Victorian context. But you will have the opportunity to be asking these questions. And most importantly, you'll have the opportunity to contribute to the reports and the information that the WPPOs will be using to present a position to DOHAC. And that's not a fixed position. This is a moving beast. So the more you contribute, the more accurate those reports become about your particular situation. So don't be shy. This is not data in a way that is going to be used against you. This this is to help inform your needs. And it's one of those situations where we're in a very poor engagement phase in health in terms of people wanting to contribute to surveys. You're worried about where that will lead. This is actually something that can help you. So I just implore you, don't sit back and wait for somebody else to say something. This is your chance to be involved in shaping the future of general practice. And I wholeheartedly applaud these people for putting this together today for us. And thank you to the WPPOs from interstate or, as I am Victorian-based, sorry, we're national. But thank you for everybody being here and just... Don't stop the conversation, start the conversations now and know that as practice managers as well as supervisors and MEs and if you're here as a registrar today or a practice owner who's neither a practitioner nor a practice manager, this is about you. This is about your future. So we want to attract junior doctors. And that's only going to happen with a really healthy general practice sector. So it's not just about the training. It's about that end point of general practice. And I will say that till I'm blue in the face because I do believe that the next generation of GPs will become supervisors if they love it, but you've got to get them there first. So let's let's attract people to a really healthy sector. And this is not the answer, but it's one contributing feature into an answer for us. Now, you can be a member for free. GPSA, you can be a contributor or have an account on our platform for free. It just gives you an ability to connect in with your peers. Don't 
hold back. Again, this is a place for you to tease out ideas. We encourage you to join pretty easy. And from there, just keep the conversation going and feed your information into your relevant WPPO. Thank you so much, Matt, Shane, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carla. Thanks very much, Carla. Thanks, everyone. Thanks all. Thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and or a review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. If you'd like to ask a question or suggest a topic, you can reach out to us via our social channels. Simply search GP Supervision Australia on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. GP Supervision Australia is supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Australian General Practice Training Program.